0: First of all, I want to thank you for your diligence and your consistency in attending the School of the Word. This is not just another Sunday school class where we learn something about God. This is a gathering of the people of God by the leading of the Holy Spirit For the purpose of the Spirit's instruction to know God, to know His purpose, to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit as we, His people, are walking in such a way to declare His purpose to all the world. Amen. This class, and I don't exclude other things in the church, this class is important primarily to God himself. Okay? This is a very important gathering in the view of the Lord Jesus. And so for that, thank you for being here. Thank you for being consistent. And when you see others who are not here this morning, who have been here, in a polite way. Where were you? (laughs) But in a nice way. Okay, in a nice way. Father, we just ask this morning, as we always do. Father, we don't assume, we ask, that you will manifest your presence among us, and in, in each one of us. By causing the words that are spoken through this man to be anointed, to be filled with power for the accomplishment, O oh Lord, of the Father's holy purpose in saving us. Father, we ask that This morning, as every time we gather, will you give us a deeper appreciation and experience of who Jesus is? Father, we thank you so much for gathering with us, for ministering with us. Father, we're trusting that as always, when Jesus said, "Where well, there's a group of you gathered to- that gather together, I am there in the midst. So Father, manifest the Lord Jesus in our midst by your holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Well this morning, as we continue, you remember last week in John 8:58 it's probably the most dramatic statement of Jesus, of his intrinsic deity when he is speaking to the Pharisees in John chapter 8 in a long discourse and there's a lot of conversation about who Abraham is and he's this and he's our father and whatever and all that. And finally, Jesus says to them in verse 58, And all of us should remember this verse, before Abraham existed, before Abraham was. Now typically we would say before Abraham was, existed, I existed. But that would be incorrect for Jesus to say that. Because he's not talking about how long he's been here. He's talking about who he himself is. That's why he doesn't say I existed. So he says, before Abraham was what? I am. I am. Ego amy. And remember, we compared Jesus' statement of I am, Ego amy, which is the Greek translation, to the same translation used in the Septuagint from direct, from the Hebrew, anihu is the Hebrew, and the Ego amy is the Greek showing that what Jesus is saying here is this. In the same way that the Lord God of Israel declares himself to be, I am. In the same way, I think how it would be for you. Here's a man standing here, a human being. This is Joseph and Mary's son. Remember the carpenter. He grew up in Nazareth. You remember who he is. You see, there's no halo around Jesus. There's no glow about him. There's nothing about this man in the natural that would cause us to say, Man, you are very great. There's just nothing there, Joe. You know, it's not there. It's just an ordinary looking dude. And here you're listening to this man. And you're one of the leaders of the church, Patricia. And as a leader of the church, you're given responsibility to guard the theology of God. And this man says, I am. Oh, my word. He has just said emphatically and explicitly In some way I don't quite understand all he's saying. But he is saying this. I am a divine person. In the same way that Yahweh, the Lord, is a divine person. And I exist with God. I am another God, with God, is what they're hearing. They can't believe it. I'm another God, Chris. I'm on the same level as God. Get what he's saying here. And when they hear this, Verse 59, what happens? And they picked up stones to throw at him. Why? Because you see, he has just committed blasphemy. And the penalty for blasphemy was stoning. I think I have a scripture down here, Mark 14, 61 to 64. During Jesus' trial, they asked him, you know, Are you, tell us, are you the son of the blessed? In other words, are you the son of God in a very specific and unique way? Not just, hey, are you, you know, one of the children of God? And what does he say? What? He says what? Do you see the scripture? What is his statement? What does he say? Ego Amy. And then at that point, he references the Scripture from Daniel 7, 14 about seeing the Son of Man who was a divine figure in the Old Testament who was able to come before God in the presence of God and in some way a divine figure with God, but we're not sure how that works. And he's declaring himself to be that person. What do you do with a man like this? And so what is the the fundamental difficulty here? I think I'll get through this today. If I don't, you'll just have to bear with me. Sometimes I don't get the gravity of something until we start speaking it out. What is at stake here? Now listen to me. What's at stake here for these people is the same thing that is at stake for every one of us all day long, every day. It is the same issue. It is not different in their context, in their time, and then it's different for us. Wendy, it's the same issue. What is the issue? What Jesus was saying appeared, notice what I said, it appeared to be A direct attack or assault or an undermining of what most basic theological statement of Judaism. Remember in Deuteronomy 6-4, again, another verse you need to know, Deuteronomy 6-4, hear, O Israel, listen, Israel, Yahweh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In other words, God alone, Yahweh alone is God. And what is this called? The belief in one being It's called monotheism. Theos meaning God, mono meaning one. Now, here's what they're hearing. They are hearing a, in their minds say, I am God with God. Carolyn, that's what they're saying. That's what they hear him saying. Now, are they correct, be careful how we answer, it. within their understanding of monotheism to stone him? Yes. But are they correct in the essential meaning of monotheism? No. Because, you see, the monotheism of Israel, and the same is Islam, is what is called a Unitarian monotheism. What does that mean? That God alone exists, but that He is one in His person or being, just one God, a singularity, if you would. This is the faith of Judaism. Now, be careful. It is the faith of Judaism as they understood the revelation that God gave about himself in the Old Testament. But what they did not understand because of lack of revelation and the revelation hadn't come yet because Jesus had not been born yet, so the revelation hasn't come. What they didn't understand was that the Old Testament certainly is a monotheistic presentation of God. He presents himself as one only. But he exists not as a singularity, but as a what? Plurality within himself. This is called Trinitarian monotheism. Why am I saying this? Because the Bible, the belief in one God, Christianity, has always been attacked most basically at one place. Just at one place, most basically. There are other places coming out of that foundational attack, but there's just one foundational attack. And what is this? The attack is this. Trinitarian monotheism is a false religion. You hadn't thought of that, had you? Trinitarian monotheism is a false religion. So what, how has that worked out in its reality? Jesus wasn't real. Jesus was just a man like other men. It's an attack against Trinitarian monotheism. Why? Because, you see, it is an attack against the very fundamental identity of God himself. God's most fundamental identity is his Trinitarian existence, which means what? It means this, that the one being of God, one being, Deuteronomy 6 4, that the one being of God exists as three. I think this may be in your notes. Do some of you know where I am now? The one being of God exists as three divine, distinct, equal. Persons. Now, the word persons is a little difficult because we're people, but, but that's the best that has been come up with. That God has always existed as one being and manifested in his three persons. And you remember the command of Jesus in Matthew 28 eighteen. Remember that before he ascends into heaven for the second time? He says this all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore what? Go into all the world, making disciples and teaching them to observe everything, all things that I have hmm? that I have given you command to do. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. Now, in the Greek, the word the is there because it specifies each person individually. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, had Jesus said, Go into all the world and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That can be interpreted as, well, God is one, and sometimes he manifests himself as the Father. Sometimes he manifests himself as the Son. Sometimes he manifests himself as the Holy Spirit. But there are not three distinct persons in God. It's just one God who does this triune manifestation. That's false theology. So Jesus says, you see how specific the word is? If this were a man just writing this down, you know, the language is tight. It's accurate. It's meaningful. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is what's under attack. Is this theology our theology today? Now, how many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, believe in Trinitarian monotheism? That's the theology of Lakeview Christian Center and every Christian church. I didn't say every church that calls themselves Christian. Every Christian church is a Trinitarian monotheistic theology. If it isn't, it's not a Christian church. And so what is being attacked in us regularly, day by day? I will go back to Genesis chapter 3. I'm not going to get through the lesson today. Because, you see, it's not enough just to talk about monotheism and move along. It's important for us to do a couple of things to recognize first do i believe in trinitarian monotheism and as we move along we'll look at the scriptures that validate jesus i am statements and we'll go to the tanakh to do that you remember what the tanakh is the tanakh is the hebrew or jewish expression or terminology for what we call the old testament And I'd rather call it the Tanakh and get you used to that. Because when you say Old Testament to a Jewish person, you're slapping them in the face. Your Bible is old. It's been replaced. So we don't do that. We say Tanakh. What was I talking about, Dane? Do you remember? What? Say it again. Oh, I like you. Why don't you stand up and tell us who you are? Go ahead. It's okay. We do that regularly. No, we do that regularly. <laughs> this is a class of fellowship. My name is John Ward. I uh, teach at the dental school. I used to Lakeview about four months ago, my wife and I. We have a home in Ruston where I used to practice for 38 years. And I had several friends when I was in dental school that went to Lakeview, so I was encouraged to come. Good. How's that? that Good night. Lovely. Dane invite you? Yes. Oh, I thought maybe y'all knew one of them. Ah, okay. So, where is our monotheism being attacked? Remember Genesis 3.15. I'm sorry. three one. And the serpent doesn't say snake. Please put snake out of your category. Does not say snake. Now, it's a serpent. What was a serpent? I don't know. How could the serpent talk? I don't know. But all of that misses the point. The answer is, Michael. We ain't never gonna know. Maybe until heaven. So let's not worry about who does this talk to. The, pfft, who cares? What is caring is that there is a conversation that was that occurred that someone said something and someone understood something and etc. Now the serpent was what more crafty. Now listen to me. Was more crafty. Was more subtle. Was more underhanded. Was more coming through the back door than the front door. Was more hiding his poison in good things. Was involved in activities that I wonder if they're okay or involved in activities or whatever that it has to be all right because we enjoy it. You ever hear yourselves and others say, but, 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 and we, it's so much fun. How many of you have heard this before? One of the most crafty means of Satan undoing our monotheism is causing us to believe that whatever it is must be okay because the kids enjoy it so much, Missy. They enjoy, but the kids enjoy it. That's never the point, is it? So, what does he say? He is more crafty than all the what? Listen to the next terminology. Than all the what? Beasts of the field. Now, it's amazing to me how we don't understand, sorry, we don't listen to what the Holy Spirit has said. Why did the Holy Spirit say field? He just could have said, Charlie, he just could have said, look, this serpent is more crafty than all the beasts. But he doesn't say that. Why? Because you see, the Garden of Eden is specifically created by God who creates this man, Adam, out of the dirt or the ground and takes him out of the what? The field and places him into the garden. And the garden is the location or the sphere in which God is to be worshipped Obeyed, walked with. That's the sphere. That's the the meaning of the garden. It's the place of God's presence and of our worship and of our obedience. This is not just a vegetable garden. This is a place of God's enthronement upon the earth. The serpent is more crafty than all the beasts of the field. And he said, number to Eve. Now before we get into what he said, the question is this. The serpent is from the field. The field is external to the garden. The field represents the area of this world that had not yet come under the worship the rulership the domain of God and it was God's purpose in creating Adam and Eve in his image and their children who were going to live in the garden that as they grew and as they continued to worship and obeyed the if you would the borders of the garden would be expanded slowly to take over the whole go- uh, world so as Habakkuk 2 4 says that the glory of the Lord may what fill the earth That was God's purpose. How did this serpent get into the garden? Did God put him in there? No. He's from the field. How did he get in the garden? Well, you remember in Genesis 2, 15, the Lord said to Adam, your responsibility in this garden, this, don't think of vegetables. Think of the, the holy presence of God, the place of God's dwelling, of God's honor, the God's integrity, the place of God's glory. is so much more than just digging in the dirt and growing, you know, potatoes. He says, I want you to do two things. What is it? Work and keep. Do you remember those two words in Genesis two fifteen? 15? What is the word work and keep then? Well, you'd have to go to Numbers to see the command that is given to the Levites. It means this, to maintain and to guard. Maintain the integrity of God's worship in this place, in my heart. How do I do that? By guarding against the intrusion of anything that which is not of God himself. Does that make sense to you, Charlie? Right? That's what the garden is. That's what the command is all about. It had physical ramifications, but it had a spiritual truth there that was absolutely vital and necessary for these two To continue to live in such a way that they manifested, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So what were Adam and Eve to do? And specifically Adam, it was given to Adam the command, not to the woman. Okay, Adam, I want you to maintain the integrity of my presence in your own personhood. Isn't that where some of the battle is in our own lives? Maintaining the honor and the integrity and the supremacy of God in us. But I also want you to do maintain. How do you maintain it, Debbie? You maintain it by guarding against the intrusion into your thoughts and your mind and your attitude and your desires of anything whatsoever, at any time, for any reason, guarding against the intrusion of the serpent and all that he represents. Now there is the battle. How did the serpent get into the garden? Well, we have to surmise. It's not explicit. And I don't think it's bending the Scriptures to say, If Adam was given the responsibility of keeping him out and God didn't put him in there, God doesn't say, here, Satan, you know, I want you to go do... He doesn't. He knows it's going to happen. He permits it. But his purpose was not this, not that, that time. So how did he get into the garden? What do you think? Satan, Adam did not do his job to do what? Guarding. Some kind of way. Now the Bible, why doesn't the Bible tell us? It's just not significant at this point to tell us that i think adam just did not guard now men may i say men especially for you men who are married and young men also you young men as men in the body of christ one of the primary responsibilities we have is to not only guard our own hearts against the intrusion, the subtle, slipping, slimy, slippery snake coming in with all of his attractive opportunities. Not only guarding our own hearts, but especially for those of us who are married. We are given the mandate to guard this family that God has given to us. And as we do not live obediently, I don't mean do something wrong, I'm talking about consistent disobedience and getting into compromise. As we do that, the first person in your family who will come under attack is your wife she is going to be attacked emotionally mentally spiritually in her mind and she will be attacked physically several years ago don't ask me when I don't remember my wife would tell you when I said yesterday she says that was four years ago oh whatever Women are historical. How many of you know that? They can tell you things that you did and didn't do and should have done 25 years ago. I didn't even know I was living 25 years ago. I don't even know whether I was young. I was told I was young, Warren. Someone showed me a picture. <laughs> and what was I talking about, Skippy? Sometimes I get off track. I can't remember. Oh. Oh. Years ago, I was leaving my house to go out at night to walk, to pray. And as I left, I don't know whether you remember this. How many of you know my wife, Jean? Raise your hand. I was going to ask her to stand, but she already is standing. So (laughs) AJ said that one time. I just took it from AJ. So when I left the house, Jean said she just wasn't feeling well. Something really feeling sick. That's not unusual for my wife to feel sick. I mean, she has had issues. So I went on out. I'm going down the street. Coming back, I'm standing at St. Charles Avenue and Jefferson Avenue. There's an apartment p- complex there. I remember the moment. Now don't ask me for the issue, I don't remember the issue. Okay, that's not important. And I'm walking toward the light to cross Jefferson, and the Lord says, It's your fault that Jean is sick. Now, Diana, what does that mean? Warren, what does that mean? Lloyd, what does it mean? My wife is sick. My fault. I didn't breathe on a wrong. I didn't say I didn't breathe on it. I didn't breathe on a wrong. And the Lord reminded me of a particular issue that I was, I don't remember whether I was struggling, but I think I was struggling in unsuccessfully, some kind of way. I was giving in to something. Don't remember what it is. So it doesn't matter. I want if it says, <laughs> don't do that. And he says to me, Never have a conversation with God? Your obedience is God's, used as God's covering for your wife. Aunt Maria, I had never thought of that. Michael, I had never thought of that. Renee, I had never thought of it. And I had been teaching Sunday school, whatever, for many years. I mean, I started teaching Sunday school in 1962. Oh, be quiet, somebody. I was only a year old. <laughs> 19 years old. Yeah, do the math. I'm 79. Okay, fine. Everybody's going one, two, three, four. Linda, I stopped. Then the Lord reminded me this issue that I was not dealing with appropriately gave Satan an opportunity to invade my wife and speak to her or do whatever because of my lack. Do you hear that? Now, does that mean every time Gene's sick or whatever, it's my fault? Does that mean every time Jody's sick, it's your fault? No, it doesn't. Oh, my heavens. I stood there, man. And I asked God for the ability to repent, and he gave me the ability to repent of that thing. So I walked on home. Came into the house. And Gene says to me, I suddenly began to feel okay. I suddenly began to feel okay. So... Satan comes in to the garden. I think it's through Adam's disobedience or compromise. I think that's where the issue began. Because, you see, in that, Satan knew he had an opportunity to get to his wife. And through his wife to Adam, who had the authority to make the decision. Amen? Are you with me? And what was the issue? The issue was this monotheism. Do you believe that God is God? Always and alone, and there's no one else. Oh, yeah, I believe that. And then he showed them the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in verse 6, when Eve sees it, oh, tasty. Wisdom, you know, wow, look at this. This can do something for me. There's something for and about me in that tree. About me apart from something for and about God, Bessiah. And she saw and she tasted Listen, friends, Satan is continually offering us the tasty things of sin that are giving us opportunity in this world regularly so that we can taste and see. No, not that God is good, but that taste and see that there are other good things in the same category as God, some kind of way. You see, it's not just, hey, I love this gumbo. Mm. That's okay, it's fine. But then when it becomes something more than just I enjoy a good meal, how do you know you're under attack? When the thing you want to do or have been doing When the stuff you're listening to on television, in movies, or whatever, when the place that you go to have fun, when any of that becomes subject to maybe we shouldn't, the preacher stands up and says, you shouldn't do that. How do you know what's grabbing you By how you feel about it? Are you with me? How do you feel about it? I'm not teaching this doctrine, but I'll say it this way. And if you drink alcohol, I'm not condemning that. Don't, Don't go the wrong way. Glass of wine, okay, fine. Suppose I got up one Sunday morning and says, all of you should stop drinking alcohol. Wow. How do you feel about it? I just, I just... You know what I mean? Or or watch these movies. I don't care what the issue is. How you feel about tugging on your heart and being an issue to give up should say to you, Satan's speaking to you. Can you say amen? And what is the purpose? You'll be like God. Monotheism begins to be a theology with which we compete through these other ways. I didn't think we would do this this morning until I was about a half mile from here and I felt the Lord say, I want you to do this. It was just a half mile. It wasn't when I was doing the notes last week. Do we believe in monotheism theologically? Do we? Do we practice it? Because if we undo monotheism, we're undoing and denying God himself. And it is the most basic fundamental temptation of everything else is contained in that temptation. I think you can see this. I get upset with you because uh, I'm I'm angry, I'm jealous, whatever. That's all attacks against monotheism. Making me at least trying to become closer to being like God so next week we'll come back the notes may be the same they may not may adjust them somewhat so guard monotheism this week amen thank you